Oh, hello. Fancy seeing you here on a Monday morning, but glad you could join us. Welcome to Monday Morning Coffee with Inside the Firm. Each week, we will be interviewing local, regional, and national business leaders to give you an inside peek into how they lead their businesses to success in an ever-competitive business climate. So pour yourself a hot cup and enjoy the show. Welcome to another episode of Monday Morning Coffee with Inside the Firm. Today, I have on Adam Steiner. He is a third-generational. He is third in a generational line of home builders. And as such, this industry has always been in his blood. From early on, he knew he loved homes, design, and building. After a decade and a half working as a lead designer for various builders, he ventured out on his own. As the owner of Burnham Design Company and the podcast Builder vs. Buyer, his mission is to take the mystery of home buying out of the home buying process through sharing his experience. Adam, welcome to the show. Thanks, Lance. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, happy to have you on. Happy to have you. So one thing I wanted to could maybe you could you could start uh, with us out with is tell us about your transition from civil engineering uh, and then working into your in your father's home building company and then some of the lessons that maybe you learned in doing that. Yeah. Yeah. So um went to school, Purdue University, uh, studied civil, focused on structures. Um, I got about halfway through and felt like, I'm not sure I want to do this my whole life. And my dad was like, hey, hey, you're almost done. Just get your degree and figure it out. Um, and that was about the time my dad started his company now, as it's called Steiner Homes. Um, and I started working for him part-time through college, summers, um, and then right out after school. I was always found myself as on the more creative side of, of my classmates and, and things like that and way lower on the, the details and really loving the math and the engineering. But um, yeah, so I figured, hey, let's just jump on full in on the home design process and I've loved it ever since. So you graduated then with a civil, civil engineering degree? Yes. Yeah. I never spent a second in the field. That's so. well, I mean, well, I mean, it's applicable, right? You're at least there's design involved with that. We teach civil engineers uh, at the university of Colorado Boulder. And, you know, I know that some of them that have graduated there, they move on to different stuff. As a matter of fact, like our structural engineer is technically a civil engineer. So there has to be something that once you, so was there any crossover at all once you started working for your dad's home business uh, building company? Was there anything, there had to have been some kind of skills that transferred over to that or, or did they kind of go by the wayside entirely? Um, there's, there's a lot that I haven't touched on in my career that I learned in college, but I would say engineering is very good at training you and problem solving. And that is all that I found home design is. So you have a, a problem, there's parameters and you need to solve it. Um, so it really helps. It helps me walk that line between functional and, you know, beautiful design of like, it's gotta be, it's gotta be buildable. It's gotta be structural. It's gotta, you know, all that stuff. What about on the, like a, <clears throat> maybe siting? Was there anything that helped you when you were, you guys would have a new lot or maybe a new subdivision that you guys, you purchased a piece of land and you guys were laying it out, laying the streets out or anything like that. Was, was there any of that stuff, stuff that, you know, flowed into, into you working for your dad? Oh yes. That's that ended extremely helpful, especially the, um, the surveying component that you go through in civil. Um, 
there's a ton of questions I get from buyers on, hey, we're about to we're thinking of buying this piece of land and um, what should we look for, yada, yada. It's, it's helpful to have that background, be able to look instantly at a grading plan, topography, and know, okay, this is a walkout lot. This isn't, you know, really guide them in that direction. Yeah. So speaking of that, if, if, if somebody's listening to this podcast and they are thinking about building a new house at some point, I know it's, a, it's an American dream to do it for sure. Um, what advice would you give a potential client uh, on picking a lot in a builder as they started wading their toes into that? Yeah, I would, I would pick them in conjunction. Um, if you're picking a lot and a builder, get a builder that wants to go out, view your site, give you information on it, help you in that. Um, and really like make sure you're asking all the questions, knowing all the information. Um, what kind of questions should they ask? I think that's one of the things too, that people, mm -hmm. I mean, people, people will contact us, uh, to, to design their house. And the first thing I ask them is, is maybe more often, sometimes, maybe not more often than not, but a fair amount to where it's worthy of saying it is that they actually don't even have a piece of land purchased yet. Yeah. So, so what are some, what are some things that you know, as an industry insider, that maybe somebody who's brand new to doing this for the very first time, they do just, there's obvious things that they might miss. Yeah, I would say, um, get a survey, make sure you know the size of the land. Um, make sure all the easements are noted on that. Call your county, call your city, find out the, the setbacks for that specific zoning area. Um, setbacks and easements are different. Make sure you have both of those covered. Um, and then I would say if you're buying in a subdivision, make sure and get that grading plan. So a grading plan is something that the city has approved with the developer to say this is the elevation of streets and everything that the way that we want the water to drain. Um, and so the grading plan will have every specific lot on it and the proposed grade for what the city would like to see and the engineers would like to see the builder then build to. So you're not there. Some cities are a little more flexible in that and you're not necessarily locked into it, but that is the starting off point for most cities, municipalities is, is the grading plan. So if, if the lot you're buying is differs, whether that's a walkout, lookout, flat lot. If that differs from what you want, I would say, look at a different lot. Yeah. Well, what if I, um, now I'm going to pretend like I'm a client, but I'm afraid of calling the city. I'm afraid of calling the County because they're going to tell me bad news. I, I would say do it. You're going to find out the bad news sooner or later. Never, never purchase something without, without knowing. Yeah. Rip um, off the bandaid right away. Right. I mean, even when oh, it comes 100%. down to like the, the soils, that, that would be one recommendation I would add on to yours is that, try to understand your soils and what that means mm -hmm. for the foundation because of the ramifications, they could cost you a lot of money, you know, down the road. Um, and, and foundations, that's where buildings start, right? So, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's a, that's a very painful one to find out in the building process that you don't have adequate soils. Mm -hmm. The remedies are, are tough. Yeah. Yeah. And expensive. Um, yes. what about, so since you've worked on both sides of the coin in you've been, you were a designer, you basically working for your father and then before you switched over and started your own firm then so, and so you've seen both the design side and the builder side. What about people who are designers and want to go work for and, and attract these um, builder clients who, you know, they're doing maybe spec speculative houses and semi-custom houses. What kind of advice would you give to 
a new designer who says, I want to break into that market and start working with these, you know, builder developers. What, yeah, what, what um, should they, how should they point, you know, position themselves? That awesome question. Let me start off by saying builders are awesome clients. Um, you spend a lot less time in meetings with them. They're more direct about what they want. Um, they don't want to waste time in their day with two hour long meetings talking about floor plan. Like, Hey, give me some drawings. I need to go. I'm ready to build. Um, so yeah, they're, they're really great clients, obviously repeat clients. Um, I would say builders, builders love if you can understand the building process. Um, if you, if you're already thinking about structure, how you're going to run mechanicals, um, your plumbing chases, drops, venting, um, if you're having those conversations early, really, really helpful. And then I would say builders, builders love speed. I've heard you guys talk about this a lot on your podcast. Like if you can turn around a drawing and said in two weeks, instead of four weeks, um, they love that. And if you're, if you're true to your word like that, that alone will win you jobs regardless of where your, your price is at. What do builders hate? What do um, builders not want to see from a designer? I know you kind of touched about the positives. Maybe there's some yeah. negatives we could pull out. Yeah, I would say, um, it might sound funny for most architects, but over specification, mm. um, there are, there are custom builders that, you know, build in my market, like a million plus and treat it more like a commercial job. That's one thing, but I'm talking about most, you know, under a million home, most semi-custom custom homes. When you work with a client, get things really dialed in and specified, you're specifying the windows and, and every, every little thing, which, which is good and architects are trained to do, but that builder has an idea, a way they're already doing things. So for windows, for example, if you, if you specify a certain window type, uh, brand manufacturer, that builder probably has a relationship with a supplier that may or may not supply that specific window. So you're, you're making more work for them. They either have to have a conversation with the client to say, Hey, this is the window we really want, or they have to call you and they know they're going to be billed for extra hours. So I would say talk to them early instead of later. Uh, they, yeah, it's five minute conversation that can go a long, long way. Yeah, I, exactly. I, I, my, my advice would be that it should be, they're going to have their routine structure of who they're already working with. Like you talked about. So it, it's up to you to, to pull that out of them to understand, okay, tell me about the yeah. ideal structure and the framework and you can still be 100% creative. That's one, that's why a big reason why we're such big advocates of if you, if you do have the opportunity as an architect to have to work with a speculative builder, I, I think, I think it's a, one of the most, um, we, we talk about that you know, architectures for, for humanity, right. In, in the sense that, uh, we, we're better poised than supposedly builders about making the best spaces for people to live. And I think a lot of people look down on an architect, maybe they're, you know, especially if they're talented of like, Oh, are, why are you doing such demeaning work? And I go, I don't know. I don't know if there's a, a better way to uh, affect society in a positive way than if you do one house and it's repeated a thousand times. And if you, if you crush the floor plan on that house, maybe it's not the most beautiful thing from the outside, but if in a decade or two decades from now, because the floor plan works so well, it's essentially timeless. They're not ripping out walls like they were for, you know, the, the spec homes in the sixties and seventies and eighties and stuff like that. Um, yeah. Why yeah Lance, you, I'm, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. No, I'm just going to say, I love that you said that. Cause I, I fully agree. I think it's, and it's great work too. So it is great, right? Steady. It's, mm-hmm. it's, and, and you learn about, uh, I mean, you learn even on the economic side of things, right? I mean, 
they, they have to have yeah. a profit. <laughs> yeah. Otherwise, yeah. there's no incentive to keep moving ahead as a developer when it's one of the most risky things you can do ever. Um, well, beyond that, then, how, how did you then transition from, and what made you move over and start your own firm? Um, I, I was, I think the, the biggest picture thing is I got to a point in my career when I wanted something a little more. Um, I realized I was like capped at a ceiling of what, what I could make unless I was managing people. And I'm not, a, I'm not a skilled manager. That's not really a strength of mine. Um, and yeah, that was really one of the big urges to branch out and really, I want to build something and it's exciting and, and fun to do. When did you, when did you exactly make the transition? Uh, January of this year. So I've been in business now for about oh, five months. That's exciting. How did you obtain your first clients? Um, my first clients were builders that I'd previously worked with. Um, so I um, actually worked out like a monthly hourly retainer agreement. Um, and it's, it's the lowest margin of stuff I do. Um, but like I said, that it was a great jumping off point. And the reality is like my wife wouldn't have been excited about it had we not had some, some sort of steady quote unquote, mm-hmm. you know, income coming in. And um, during the pandemic, it's been really, really great for me because I've had some steady work through it all um, that, yeah, I'm really glad I did. So. Yeah. Good. Good for you for taking that leap for sure. Um, what kind of software do you use to do, to do your, to do your designing? Um, I'm currently in AutoCAD. I am taking Revit rocket ship, All right. um, your class. Um, and I promise podcast Lance didn't tell me to say this, but I do love, love the program. The templates alone are worth the money. Um, it's, you can tell you guys have done residential a lot. And yeah. yeah, the out of the box Revit stuff is not as set up for residential as what you guys make it. So yeah, what is there? Is there any big lessons you've learned so far by being branching on on your on your own, or or is it has it went relatively smooth? Um, it's been relative relatively smooth. I would say, um, starting off, get the right stuff. Um, I email servers, um, should I pay for Microsoft Excel, all that stuff. You know, I went cheap first time around and then three months in, I've already exceeded my storage limits on all that stuff. And mm-hmm. I'm like, you know what? I really wish I just went with the, the full boat package um, and got the right thing right up front. What would that be if somebody was in your shoes, say tomorrow or on, on Monday, they listen to this episode and they go, it's time for me to start my own firm too. What is just a list of, you know, your, maybe your top three technical resources and, and things that you would, you would recommend just, just bite the bullet and spend the money on these things so you're not regretting it later? Yeah, I would say um, an awesome PC. Get, get a computer that you know is going to work super fast load time, super fast processor. You're going to be spending all day on that thing, closing, opening big files. Like, get something, get something that you love. Um, and then, and then I would say the email so storage technical side, like, um, don't skimp on that. Get, get a good domain name that looks professional. Um, get, you know, I went with G suite because it's a little cheaper. And then, you know, I'd wish I just bit the bullet and gone with Microsoft to, you know, 10 more bucks a month, but 
Um, it's something two months in, I'm like, oh, do I really want to change all of my mm-hmm. file storage and migrate the email? And it's just, just get it right up front. Um, and yeah, for a third thing. Um, what about a server? Think, what do you use for a server? Or are you just, I mean, yeah, are you using your heart, like on your laptop hard or Dropbox? Um, I actually built a PC, so I, it's all hard drive um, through G Suite. So. Okay. Okay. Well, two is good enough. I'm cool with that. I, I think yeah. that's, I think that's great advice for sure. Uh, how are you pandemic aside? You know, I think we're pulling out of it anyway is how are you, how are you generating leads on, on your own for the first time? Is it just, is it contacts still other contacts that you, that you had previously and are they just kind of referring you out from here because you've, you've performed well with them? Um, some referrals, um, some is just, the the classic internet hustle of getting your content out there we're fortunate enough to be in an industry where people want to spend their free time looking at what we make they really do so yeah so don't be shy to put renderings floor plans your pictures obviously but um that sort of content online like people want to see it we're not selling insurance like um get that stuff out there and i would say that has helped and then I cold calling, especially with, with builders, you know, um, sure. Everybody's got a connection, but a decent number of the ones I called were like, you know what? I got a designer, but he's six weeks out and I really need a set of plans. What can you do? Um, and I would say that don't be afraid to do the cold calling, figure out a couple of contractors that have, you know, and those have turned out to be some of my best contractors this year too. So yeah. Yeah. Uh, Two part question. Uh, so, uh, Somebody, somebody like you who is who's working for builders and developers, and, and maybe you're, you're doing, you know, some of his, his spec homes. How do you handle when a developer or a builder asks you if a repeat fee for the exact same house? And then how do you yeah. handle it if a client asks you to do it? Are you are you just doing strict repeat fees, or do you or do you take the other route and say something along the lines of like every individual lot is different, so I just can't. It's not workable. Yeah, I would say um, for a builder client, I we hold the, the architecture and design industry, we hold our intellectual property, you know, really closely. And I question that because all of our clients hate it. <laughs> um, if your client is a builder, they don't want to hear you talk about intellectual property clauses. And I, I get why they're there. And um, but I would say, I want to bring value and not frustration to my clients. And so I've been really, really lax on the IP. Um, usually I will charge an upfront free fee for a development of a, you know, repeat plan, so to speak. Um, and then most likely hourly or, or a lower fee um, for the repeat work, you know, changing that on a different lot, making the modifications that they want to for the second time, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, good answer. Uh, circle back for us then is on, on something um, on the sales process for builders as you acted as an agent for both of them. So what what could you tell us about from a client perspective, what they, what they can expect on the sales process? And then if, if you are going to go, you know, maybe a route where you, you transition into a builder, you're going to do a spec home, you know, things to watch out for, things to be aware of that maybe um, aren't really obvious. Um, as, as far as 
the designer or the client building the home? Sorry. Both. It could be both. Yeah. I, I would say, I would say for sure the client. Yeah. What should, what should, what should they be, what kind of questions should they be asking and looking for as they go to, you know, buy that house? Um, Oh yeah. Great question. I, I say this to people a lot and um, I, this is what my whole podcast is based on. It's just advice for people and builders to kind of come together and figure out this, this, this relationship better. Um, as far as clients going to builders, I would say get a builder early and pick somebody you trust the most. Um, it's hard. It's hard to figure that out in one or two meetings, but I think most people know in their gut, like, yeah, that person's trustworthy or no, they're not. Um, and because building a home is kind of like a marriage, like you, you're, you're stuck with that contractor for six to nine, 12 months, however long your build is. Um, something may and probably will go wrong in your build. You want to be able to sit across the table from that person, look them in the eye and know that they're telling you the truth for a good remedy, good solution. Um, so like practically what that means up front, if I'm talking to a sales agent or a builder is really somebody that's going to tell me no. Somebody like mm. a builder that knows what they are and what they're not. Builders, um, and I get why I do this same thing in my business. Like I'm hungry for work. I want to say yes. Um, I want to stretch myself, but I think builders do that a lot too. Um, saying yes to things they've never done before, um, processes that are totally new, um, styles that they've never really tackled before. You can get a great deal in that, but I would say like, if they're, if they're telling you, no, like this is what we do best. Um, this is our process. These are the, the rails we're going to put you in. Like that's, what's attractive to me when I'm looking for a builder. So. Yeah. What would you say to somebody who's interviewing a builder and then, and they're looking at two different, two different figures. And that is, uh, one builder is going to charge you, let's say 12% and one builder is going to charge you 18%. The, this, the first builder who's, uh, going to charge 12%. They just something every time you leave the meeting with them, it just doesn't feel right. But, and then from a trust standpoint, but man, that 12%, you know, that 6% difference is, is huge in your, in your budget versus the 18% guy or gal that says that you, you walk away from me and you go like, I just like them, but I hate their price. What do you, what, what, what do you, what advice would you give somebody when they, when they're, rec- when they're looking at that? Cause that, that is a common day occurrence. Yeah. Um, and this would be more like a true custom builder, you know, yeah. um, cost plus model. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say like you, you get what you paid for. Um, and if you feel like you don't trust that individual on the sales side, um, it's not going to get better during the building side. Um, Typically a, a contractor knows what they want to get and you can beat them up on price on the front end if, if you want to, and they will find a way to make it back through the build. Um, so yeah, I would, I would opt for, again, if you feel the higher price contractors, you know, you just have a better feeling about them, better trust level. I would any night and day go with them. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. The other point that you brought up that I really liked, well, two points was, Somebody, somebody that will say no, gosh, I just can't, I can't express how much I, I, I appreciate that. I, that's what I want too, is I want, if I hire, I don't know who it is, but like, well, how about this? Any employee that I have, I want them to just tell me the truth. Yeah. And I try to get this across with, with time, you know, for some of the, our construction, our construction foreman that we're training right now, as we, as we branched mm-hmm. out is 
I just had this discussion with one of them on Friday and I said, oh, did you, did you finish this task on the roof? Well, no, but it'll only take 15 minutes. And I go, it's going to take an hour. And I said, there's a pattern here and I'm not, I'm not trying to be a jerk about it. I'm just telling you the truth that I want the truth. So what you need to start doing, uh, who I was speaking to, what you need to start doing is you need to, if, if, if you have a pattern of this going to take X, you need to find the multiplication factor and start telling me what it's really going to take. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to be, yeah. I want that. Well, cause what pisses me off is if you tell me the 15 minutes and it doesn't take 15 minutes, you know, like yeah. I can come to reality with that. So there's, there's a lot of truth there. And then the other part that I really like that you talked about was you said, um, something will go wrong. Can you elaborate on that? And maybe even give an example without having to name names or anything of, no, no matter how perfectly planned you've tried for something as a designer and then you, it gets, it started getting built and you're like, well, something, you know, it went wrong. And then how do you, how do you, how do you deal with that when telling a, a you know, a client and explaining to them and, and sort of setting that expectation? Yeah, I would say um, homes are extremely complicated. It's a, they're built outside um, in the weather by humans. <laughs> By humans, yeah, literally hundreds of humans touching your project from manufacturers, suppliers, um, all the way to people installing the things on your site. Um, so things that um, really uh, get tight down to the inch, a small example would be um, a bathroom door. Sometimes the bathroom, you dimension it on the plan, um, five foot, five foot six, whatever you have. Uh, rough framing and it just gets framed at two inches off. It might've been cascading from the foundation, like things like that happen. And what the cascading effect is, you know what, those three foot doors that we planned into the bathroom, we might not be able to get those to fit with all the trim to work and the casing on the vanity, all that. So we might need to go down to a two foot 10 or a two foot eight door. Um, Small example, but you want a contractor that's going to be able to tell you those things and give you, give you the options and solutions, not say, Hey, this is what we're doing. Sorry. It's screwed up. Tough luck. Um, but really, you know, walk you through, okay, here's what happened. Um, here are your options. Now, you know, we could leave one side with no casing and rip it all down. It's not going to look great, but you can still get that three foot door in there or, or we can order you a smaller door. Um, so yeah, little things like that. And I, I say that too, like, so clients don't freak out as much when something goes wrong. Um, most builders, especially the ones I've worked with, I've worked for three different ones now, and they, they want to fix your problem. They want to help you through it. Um, most of the ones I've worked with aren't trying to screw you in that situation. So it's, it's just something that needs to be worked out. Yeah, I, I think the ones... It's like it's it's that when we when you and I talked about the, that example of between twelve percent and eighteen percent, it's if if you go for the twelve percent guy, to me I've I, that's where I've seen people are then they try to make up ground and it's not, it's they're trying to make up ground, it could be interpreted as and maybe rightly so screw, trying to screw you over, but they're just trying to make up ground because you beat them up. Um, yeah. trustworthiness aside about that, um, tell us about the podcast. Uh, what, what inspired you to start it and how many episodes are you in? What do you talk about? Um, the podcast, 
uh, builder versus buyer. Honestly, it was, um, I've just been on a really big Gary V kick lately. Um, watch a ton of videos online and, um, yeah, there was a, a builder I was working with as the lead designer, um, and wanted to hire an outside architect to, to develop some of their new homes. And, um, the fee that that outside architect charged was a really, it was a good chunk. Um, and I'm a extremely competitive person. I mean, I look at on the outside. I don't, you know, most people don't know that, but I hate losing. And this was one of those things where I felt like I need to build value into what I give to people and what I offer to people. Um, and the best way I can do that is to just share. Um, so it's completely, I'm just trying to help builders and buyers, um, through their build process, um, and just make the process better for people. Um, and in that uh, selfishly, let's, you know, full disclosure here, like I want to create some brand value for myself. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. well, I, I commend you. No, I think you will. I think it's great. Uh, I had Sarah Collada had me on her podcast uh, well, she interviewed earlier, previous to this week. Um, it's like at the end of May in 2020 when this was recording, and it'll it'll launch at some point on, on her on her podcast. But she asked me what what the podcast has done for us in terms of business, and it it's surprising. Um, it's been very surprising to us, and maybe you'll experience this too. Is like we will have clients now walk in and they'll go. By the way, I'm a big big fan of the podcast. This is okay. after they after they sign the contract, and then we're kind of like oh. I hope we didn't say anything. Obviously they like yeah. the content. I mean, cause you know, you've listened obviously and, and you know, it's very raw. Um, we don't, we try yeah. not to name names or anything, but people can guess after a while. Mm-hmm. Um, so bravo to you, buddy. I, I, I think it will help you out. Um, just keep, keep plugging away at it. That stay, stay steady. That's the biggest thing is just every week try to do something and then don't be afraid to reach out to people. I know I reach out to you on LinkedIn to have you on because I yeah. you know, want to help people grow what they're doing too. Um, but feel free to reach out to, you know, the other folks like Mark and, and uh, Enoch Sears and anybody else who's in the, in the builder podcaster realm. I'm sure they would, I'm sure they would, you know, people are always looking for guests. So I would encourage you to do that. Uh, last thing is um, uh, knowing what you know now, and if you could go back in time to your former self, maybe when you first started career, what advice would you give yourself? Um, pay attention to everything. Um, I got really lucky in my career that I got to be in some, into some places and meetings. I was on leadership teams, got to see a lot of operations, like was in the room with a lot of really smart people. And I would say when somebody smarter than you is talking, like listen to what they're talking about. There's so much good information there. Don't just, don't just focus on your part. Don't just focus on your little um, piece of the puzzle, but really try and understand the whole picture because it's going to, going to do a lot. Yeah. And everybody's listening. That came from a very competitive man who is not, which I would commend you. Like I'm a very competitive person too, but it is so critical no matter how competitive you are, how smart you are, there's always going to be somebody smarter than you. I don't care. Yeah. Who, I don't care who you are. I, I think even, some, even people like Elon Musk would agree with that mm-hmm. um, statement. So Adam, it was, it was an absolute pleasure having you on. Thank, thanks for coming on the show today. Where can people find you, your work and connect with you, especially the podcast? Yeah, the um, podcast is on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and SoundCloud. It's Builder versus Buyer. 
Um, my work, Burnham Design Company, Burnham Design, B-I-R-N-A-M, design.com. And then I'm on uh, Instagram, Facebook, uh, YouTube, some other social stuff. LinkedIn, yeah. Link in with LinkedIn. LinkedIn, yeah. He'd be happy to link in with you. Cool. Yeah. All right, Adam. Thanks again. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks so much, Lance. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed it. And if you did, don't forget to leave us a five-star review on the iTunes app. Tip your barista, and we'll see you next week for more Monday morning coffee with Inside the Firm.